soldiers with its commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl <coughs> on duty there, and brought Peter in. Surely you're not another of this man's disciples, the girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire <coughs> they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that any way to answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Dear Father, we give thanks for your word. We pray that you would have your way with our lives. We pray that we would be submissive and humble before you in consideration of your word. The people whose lives are given to us in account in scripture. That we would examine them intensely and see what is good and glorious and see what is dishonorable, evil and wicked. I pray that my words would be faithful in keeping with your word, which alone is holy and true, and that our lives might be transformed to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past several years, I've uh, launched out into uh, several uh, somewhat fictional accounts based upon scriptural passages. And I'm doing that again today, only I do it in somewhat a degree of fear and trepidation, because today I'm going to take a not a sympathetic character. I'm going to take Annas, who is described as one of the high priests. And uh, if you look at Annas, you will find, and you'll find through my narrative through the eyes of Annas, that Annas was interwoven into many of the the dirtiest (coughs) parts, the nastiest accounts in the Gospels. So, fair warning, Annas is, is a wicked man. There's no question about it. I remember some years ago, in my younger days, when I was high priest before being set aside by the Roman ruler, because you know we were intended to be high priest for life, the Romans didn't understand that, and they thought they could shift us as political appointees. During those days and in that time, there was a man named John. You're probably too young to remember him. But I remember him well. I can say it now because he's long since been gone and forgotten. It's been a good riddance of him as well. Though at the end, he did stir up Herod and Herodias in a way that was a pleasure for us Jews to behold. But back in his day, he made us quite uncomfortable. An ascetic he was. Hair shirt. No fine clothes. He didn't know how to wear anything good. He didn't own anything good. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate a disgusting diet of locusts and wild honey. The people flocked to him out there in the desert by the Jordan River. 
What a good it did them. Seek him and his brand of piety and prophecy, they would. Ask him questions they didn't bother to ask at the temple. He even had quite a number of followers, but that didn't last too long. You know, it's so much better for us to recline here on a couch in comfort with servants at our beck and call, eating off silver platters than, like John the Baptist, to have your head served on a silver platter. Ha! That was the end of that John they called the baptizer. He insisted on ceremonially washing people in the Jordan River as though to do that out there in the wilderness had any significance apart from right worship here in the temple. He was a little older than this one that came from Nazareth. This one was a much bigger personality. Everyone heard of him in a short while, and his name was spread about over a longer period of time. In truth, this one was a a lot more difficult for us to deal with. Yet I flatter myself, we dealt with them both. Because God was good to us, we got rid of them both with a little help from the Roman authorities. Well, it wouldn't do for me to pretend that I could stomach the Roman rulers. But if we're going to have them breathing down our necks, ruling our country with an iron rule, then it has to be turned to some good from time to time, don't you think? So if we can pass on the proper information, work the events to the proper degree, and the Roman rulers respond as we knew they would to the proper threats, like usually it works to say, oh, you don't want this man. He is threatening to overthrow Caesar. That is sure to light a fire in their eyes. Then they issue the execution orders. We can fade into the background with our hands folded nicely. appear at least somewhat innocent when the man is killed because we didn't order the execution or carry it out, which in a Jewish world with no Roman rulers, we would have had to have been involved in all of this, particularly one who was guilty of religious blasphemy. The soldiers are efficient at an execution. It's a pleasure to watch. I feel, indeed, that it's a duty that falls upon the representatives of the Lord to be on hand when justice is carried out. There was some confusion about the way in which this John pointed out the one called Jesus who was from Nazareth. Now, you remember, he wasn't from Bethlehem, as the Messiah is to be from Bethlehem. This John pointed him out and said that Jesus was the one we have waited for. Well, those of us who have served the high priest would have a better understanding of these things. We've sought to properly inform the others who follow our guidance, for instance, among the Sadducees, so that there would be a lot of, not not a lot of foolish expectations, people seeing messiahs here, there, and everywhere, because they are confused and easily fooled. And in truth, if we could just rid ourselves of these Roman tyrants and have room to rule as we could. I would count him who granted us such a piece of Messiah indeed. But after all, when you learn how to work with these Roman masters and establish influential friendships, it isn't so bad the way it is. I can live with it. We've lived with it for some years. You see, however, that we had to do something for this Jesus was destroying the peace. He was upsetting the balance of power, precarious balance, 
at the best of times. <clears throat> so that Jerusalem was stirred up and in a turmoil. And the most wild stories and accounts were going around. Should those accounts have gotten into the wrong ears, we would have been held responsible for all the trouble. So you see why we acted. This Jesus was very influential and drew people from wherever he went. Unfortunately, he did not confine himself to the wilderness as his predecessor, John, did. He went everywhere. Our spies even said he stopped in Samaria, which goes to show how gullible the people are to accept him as having spiritual insight, to think that there would be anything to be gained from stopping in Samaria. We won't argue about that. There were other issues of more significance. He'd taken a most marked dislike to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law. He'd rebuked our whole party of the Sadducees, claiming that we did not know Scripture. It was the time of the Passover celebration, and there he showed up in Jerusalem. And before he came, we dreaded the possibility. But we anticipated it all the same because we knew that he was fearless and would go anywhere. To keep up appearances, he would have to be in Jerusalem during this one of the three feasts, where, as you will know, all the men are required to come to the temple if they have any pretense of worshiping the Lord. And sure enough, he was here. What he didn't know was that one of his disciples had turned on him and was secretly feeding us information. My son was right when he said, it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas, my son, it was good when my daughter married him. We've kept the high priesthood in the family. He said that after we received reports about the man on the outskirts of Jerusalem, at Bethany or thereabouts, I believe, the man whom Jesus was said to have raised from the dead. And so my son said this, it's better for one man to die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And, And he was certainly right. I was proud of the way, in which he t- the way in which he took things in hand then. And everyone else was wringing their hands. So what will we do? What will we do? This is getting worse and worse. Worrying about the outcome of these reports of one amazing miracle after another. Of course, as high priest, it was his job to lead. And under his leadership, the Sanhedrin became united in following his course of action against Jesus. To see Jesus die so that our place and nation would not be destroyed, our fragile peace, our comfortable coexistence with the Roman governors, our contented populace. Oh well, that's some years ago now. It was certainly an unpleasant experience, the kind which you want to wash your hands of, but someone has to deal with it. And it was better for me to be the first to question him unofficially, to find how we could best turn the trial to soon what was right, you see, before sending him on to stand before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas as high priest. So he came before me first. <clears throat> he didn't have enough sense to be afraid, as I saw it. We certainly made every effort to impress upon him the gravity of the situation, to loosen him up some to hold out hope of a good judgment if he should change his ways, but there was slim chance of that. He was intransigent, unchanged and unchanging. Oh well, what's done can't be undone. There's certainly satisfaction in that job being done because the trouble from him has not left us yet. But that was a neat trick, and I'm proud to have been part of it. 
I only wish we had taken action sooner. <clears throat> then we might not have these cursed followers of his to deal with coming out of the woodwork everywhere. With that Jesus around, there was only one. But now his followers are everywhere. And while none of them are doing the spectacular things that he did, or shall we say that they reported he did, and certainly some of them he must have done. There were so many reports. Many of his followers are teaching and performing miracles, they say, so that we must constantly fight again and again to shut them up and move them on. I tell you, it gets tiring. I do wish that Judas had not killed himself, though. <clears throat> he would have been a useful spy at this point to have telling us what was going on in the midst of all their activity, to report on the secret doings of those who followed Christ. They, like Jesus, <clears throat> say that what they do is done out in the open, even as he told me when he came before me, I have spoken openly. But there is so much they're hiding, we know. We have our ways. <clears throat> and our servants who do our bidding to ferret out the truth so that we can once and for all put, our, put a stop to their detestable practices and lies about this Jesus, whom they have the gall, blasphemously, to call the Christ the Messiah. However, <clears throat> back to that time, as you asked about it, we felt our investment in the future of the Jewish nation was well worth it. For his follower, even if that man Judas did realize himself for the traitor he had been to his master, <clears throat> that Judas did a neat job for us, enabling us to sew him up in the bag before he even knew what hit him. Before the night was over, we had accomplished our purpose. If we had realized that the death of Jesus would not be the end of the matter, we might have handled Judas differently babied him along when he came to us, saying he was upset, that he had not intended to betray an innocent man to his death, and etc., etc., etc. Why did he think I wanted to hear that, or any of the others? Why did he think Caiaphas wanted to hear this? <clears throat> did he think we had use for the measly 30 coins that we gave him? We thought he could be a man and get it over with. After all, he'd taken us, the money from us. As the high priest, Caiaphas and me, it didn't bother us to sleep at night, but Jesus was dead. Really, we slept better for it. <clears throat> However, and I'm sure you won't pass this along, it was just as well that he did have scruples, because when he went out and killed himself, there was one less mouth to talk, <clears throat> telling stories about how a man was betrayed and how the high priest took the matter in hand. And at the end, we had the coins he threw into the temple, picked up off the floor, and we put them to good use. We talked about it. And we used them to buy a burial ground for Gentiles, foreigners. <clears throat> They've called that field Akeldama. We call it the potter's field. <clears throat> for we purchased it from a man who had torn it up, digging up everywhere to find potter's clay in it. So that it was no use for any good purpose. They couldn't farm it. There was no good soil in it. It was too dug up for house. Just worthless. So we got it cheap. The people call that <clears throat> the field of blood behind our backs. When I chanced to hear it called that, I smiled to myself, thinking back to Caiaphas' wise words. It is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And so, because that one man died, our nation has not perished, and we move along fine. True, we are still fighting against the ungodly blasphemy of those followers of his who did not take the lesson of his execution to heart. They're foolish enough to seem fearless when we have questioned and beaten them. 
You've heard they even have the gall to say he came out of the grave alive. But I'll let you in on another secret about that. We've had to be very clever about that one. Because we knew they were going to bring that up to make their cause seem righteous and to gain back some of the immense following that they lost when all of a sudden he was captured, tried, and crucified in a short time. You've heard all of these rumors, I'm sure. We've had the best trained scholars at work studying the things that have been reported to us that he's said and and the things that we've heard that he's said. And we had it well documented that he said, after three days I will rise again. So we worked hand in hand with Pilate to make sure there would be no problems about that. When Caiaphas and I went and spoke to Pilate, took some other leaders with us of the Sanhedrin, and we reminded him that this is what Jesus had said, and we said, we know that after this execution we do not want any trouble. So, oh good Pilate, remember that he said, after three days I will rise again. Why don't you be gracious and offer to seal the tomb and put soldiers around it? So he did so. He sealed off the tomb. He posted a guard. But in reality, it seems that everyone and everything associated with that man was destined to have a strange and a mysterious turn. Things turned so strange at times we didn't know what was happening. After three days, uh, they told us the strangest things from the guard of men in bright clothing being struck down as though in shock. This was so extraordinary, we were convinced this would be more harmful than any of the rest of the stories that had come to us. So for the good of the people in the temple, again, we dipped into the treasury. We felt it better if they simply said that they had fallen asleep. And while they were asleep, the disciples, of course, knowing that they could resurrect these words that this Jesus had said, came and stole that body away. For the good of the people, then, we, we told them to say this. What? Of course Roman soldiers don't fall asleep on duty. Would you fall asleep on duty if you knew that falling asleep meant you would be executed? Of course not. Well, of course it cost us money. You don't think you can buy the very thing which people think is going to cause their execution cheaply, do you? No, but we made sure they were safe. That was part of the deal. Say this. We know what it means. We are not dumb. Say this. You fell asleep. We know. We know. Just say, you hear, the, you hear those coins jingling back there in the treasury? There's a lot of them. And we struck a deal. <clears throat> and so we felt that the better part of the story would be for that to go out. And that would counter to a degree whatever else anybody else said. You know, you're quite privileged to hear these things. Few people know that KFSI and the other remaining high priests were involved in these things. This is not something that we announce. But through all this, we've protected the temple, we've protected the people. We've maintained a land, a nation, where people could do what they felt was right. And where they could come to the temple and worship God, of course. Sure, the followers are still hard at it. Well, we'll wear them down. It may take some time, but they'll die out sooner or later, just as Gamaliel has said. Since we aren't fighting against God, since we aren't fighting against God, 
In due time, our persistent pressure against them will prove the lie of their miracles, their wondrous claims, their insistence upon the truth of their word and the divinity of that Jesus. I hope I live to see that day. After all, though I did lose the high priesthood, it has not all been a loss. I've remained in control of the Sanhedrin. As you know, five of my sons have succeeded me as high priest. This is just one more ambition of a humble old man. And Annas, you understand. When they give a man as a child the name Annas, he has to be humble all his life. So I'm seeking to live up to my name. I've seen enough messiahs for one lifetime. I'd like to be rid of this one once and for all. So, take warning from this. Gamaliel said, as the Sanhedrin sought to rid themselves of John and Peter and others of the apostles who were proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, quoting from Acts 5, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Let us pray. Dear Father, you have given to us a word that is rich in all of its fullness of detail and all of its portrayal of wickedness and righteousness. We ask that we might not only desire and long to grow in righteousness and holiness, but we would also fear with a deadly fear, with a strong passion, unrighteousness and sin, that we would not just see it in the hearts and the lives of others, the black wickedness which is there unless it is replaced and supplanted by the salvation of Jesus Christ, but that we would see the natural desires of our heart for the wickedness and sin that they are. That we would be able to see this clearly, that we would hate the sin in our lives. That we would desire to live for you and put aside all of our evil ways. We pray your forgiveness of our sins. We pray that you would make us the righteous and holy people that you have called us to be and that you have purchased us to be. We pray that through the life of this wicked man, Annas, who has gone, unless by your grace he was changed at the last to his just reward, that we would understand that if we are your children, there is no merit to us, but instead we give thanks now and forever that out of your gracious and compassionate mercy that you have seen fit, to make your Son known to us. Teach us all things from your word, that we might live in ways that are glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.